You're listening to Ghost Radio, Station 0.5. It's the devil in the dive, and up next is another rad episode of Bad Band Great Song. Jokes there to like actually <laughs> not, even, not even gonna get into it. We're gonna well, well, what we are gonna get into now is the Halloween episode of the podcast Ooh. that will piss you off. This is Bad Band, great song. I'm your host, Andrew Patrick Finelli, and with me is your other host of the show, Jeremy Cohen. Jerry, how you doing? How you been? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was that was the that was the energy, man. Today's story is a terrifying tale, one that will make your skin crawl off your body and creep to the farthest corner of your room. Yeah, I hope you brought an extra set of skin to put on. <laughs> You're gonna need it. <laughs> it's, is that a knife? A peeping tom? Well, whatever it is, whoever it is, somebody is watching you, perhaps now more than ever, actually. Actually, that might be a little bit, a bit of a little topical joke there. Although, I don't know, is Apple still spying on our phones? Is that happening? That happens no matter what, right? Yeah, it's all happening. Yes. Well, that's right, folks. The artist we're focusing our critique on today, the artist is Kennedy William Gordy, a.k.a. Rockwell, and his song, Somebody's Watching Me. I'm just an average man with an average But what is Crazy Town's cover of Thriller? Thriller. Thriller night. Well, somebody's watching me is not Thriller. It's not. Surprisingly. But it is the paranoid classic about feeling as though somebody is watching you. And it's bizarrely a strange inversion, I think, of the Talking Heads once in a lifetime. I uh, can't wait till we get there. Well, we're going to get there now and never touch on it again, because that's some, for some reason how I wrote the script. Yeah. So we're burn-posited, and you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, and you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Oh, Rock, <laughs> Rockwell wonders... I'm just an average man with an average life. I work from nine to five. Hey, hell, I pay hey, hell. Hey, hell. Hey, hell, I pay the price. All I want is to be left alone in my average home. But why do I always feel like I'm in the twilight zone? And I always feel like somebody's watching me. Amen. Somebody's watching me is not only Rockwell's biggest hit. It's his only hit. 
And while we've covered one-hit wonders here before, Rockwell's one of those artists that kind of stands out in people's minds as being a uh, mm, preeminent one-hit wonder, an archetypal one-hit wonder. You see, Rockwell... (laughs) He doesn't have stands. He doesn't even have fans. Like, for real. Yeah, no. Nobody really gives a fuck about Rockwell. Except, actually, kind of the good folks of Brazil. Yes, Rockwell is one of those artists. He's highly regarded in one specific country that seems to be incredibly hung up on him. You got a Brazilian accent for us? I do not, and you, I, I, you, you're all welcome. You're just all welcome. I did not come prepared cool. for that one. Cool. Yeah, don't worry, folks. That's good. Only got so many icks since there, you know? Anyway, <laughs> but as always, while we look at that, we're not here to prove to uh, whomever likes him that Rockwell is bad. No, 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 no. That definitely doesn't need to be proved to anybody. Well, except for maybe some Brazilian folks. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, Maybe some just folks who have no real discerning taste in music. You know, the people who buy their CDs from Starbucks and Barnes and Noble. Those types of people. Yeah, and people that love Halloween way too much. <laughs> fair. Fair. Actually fair. Yes. Yes. If I, if I had not illegally downloaded this song, I would have bought it for some Halloween mix. Yeah, it probably sells more Spirit Halloween than it does at any other <laughs> record shop. That would be an amazing statistic. But hey, no, as always, we're here to challenge the skeptics to recognize the greatness of his song, Somebody's Watching Me. So we are going to examine Rockwell and the song, Somebody's Watching Me, in detail to articulate how and why to make the case that though Rockwell is a bad band or artist, rather, Somebody's Watching Me is a great song. So let's talk about it. Let's talk, Andrew. (laughs) I'm ready to get into this. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find a good like sound effect, so I just wanted to get that in there. Get it in there. Just if had I, to get that in there. If I got one later, I'll throw it. If you got something spooky, let it out, man. If you got it, it, if you got something spooky inside you, I want you to let it out. And folks, do you want to hear a scary story? No, not really, honestly. Well, you're going to. Okay. Nepotism is real, and it takes various forms and manifests in strange ways. Rockwell's career is a product of nepotism. Don't get it twisted. Other sources will tell you it's not, but it is. Generational wealth is a real thing. Familial connections, that's a real thing. Your father being the man who founded Motown is... If, it's, if that's a real thing for you, that's a real fucking thing. And even if he doesn't directly help you himself, if your dad is Barry Gordy, the man who founded Motown, then you've been born into American royalty. You have opportunities that no other human has. Yeah, there's a lot of power in a last name. And that, folks at home, is a true horror story. Ooh. <laughs> Rockwell was born Kennedy William Gordy on March 15th, 1964. He was named after both John F. Kennedy and William Smokey Robinson, which, by the way, personally speaking, I'm just so happy that the American obsession with the Kennedy family is literally 
dying out. It's the same people who just, just obsess over Princess Diana. I know. I know. I can't say anything bad about Princess Diana. I lo- love Princess Diana. She's a great person. I'll say anything bad about her. But I'm just saying boomers are a funny bunch. A, a cohort that prides itself on changing the world and being so radical. They're really obsessed with stodgy and oppressive bullshit like rich, politically connected American families and royalty at large. And that's scary. That's scary. And I think many of our cohort is making the same mistake. Idol- ideal- I- idolizing royalty. And that, that's a scary, that's another scary story, folks. What royalty are people idolizing today? The, you, Harry and, and, and Meghan. Oh, right. Harry yeah, that Meghan. whole thing. That was a big people thing. People like them. They really people like, like them. them. That's so weird. Yeah, and they're friends with Oprah. And that's nice. And that's so fun. I love a good modern day monarchy. <laughs> Nothing, nothing better than an artificially elevated class. Yeah, great. Well, Kennedy will will. Not that there's anything better with you know capital. Well, I, I'm not a, I'm not equipped to unpack all this. Uh, you know, right? But if you, I'm just I saying, if you school, don't even, God damn it. You know, there's a you know a sense of patriotism is one thing, but if you're like so psyched on Princess Diana and Prince William, no, right, right, you right. live in fucking you, the, the middle of the United States. That's like, weird. That's weird. That's weird. That's fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah, that is super weird. We'll talk and continue. Whoever paid like $30,000 for the Princess Diana Beanie Baby, like definitely lived in Kansas, you know, like. <laughs> that was a real thing. Wait, we can't get hung up on okay, this. That's so, insane. Yeah. But, but let's keep going with some weird stuff. But that has to do with our show. Kennedy William Gordy was born into a prestigious and particular life. His father, as mentioned, is Barry Gordy of Motown fame, a.k.a. Barry Gordy III, a.k.a. professionally as Barry Gordy Jr. Now, I know we say this kind of often, but this person's accomplishments are actually too numerous. This, this person's life is too great, like actually, for us to even begin to address in this show, which isn't about Barry Gordy of Motown. But, but I'm going to try. Oh, man. It's because of Barry Gordy, essentially, that we know the names of the Jackson Five and, in fact, Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, and the Supreme Smokey, William Robinson, for whom Kennedy William Gordy is partially named, The Temptations, Stevie Wonder, The Miracles, and Marvin Gaye, just to name, like, really just a few. Barry Gordy is also a songwriter with literally hundreds of number one hits to his name. This is who Barry Gordy is. Yeah, so clearly just about anyone would be honored to even work just with his kid. Exactly, right. And if you're like, you know, trying to play the business side and get to Barry Gordy, you know, he's play the angle, start with the kid, get to the dad. I'm just saying. That sounds like a movie I was watching the other night. Nah, we shouldn't get it. We should, that's, no, we shouldn't. Not, this one isn't going to be one of those, is it? No, 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 no. It's not going to be one of those. It's not going to be one of those. It almost became one of those, but it's not going to be one of those. It's going to be scary for a different reason, and it's not going to have anything to do with cheesy gay porn innuendo. All right. I swear to God. I'm a little disappointed, but that's cool. Let's focus on the story this week. <laughs> well, Barry Gordy, as we've already stated, is Rockwell's father. You got it now? Got it. A big part of Rockwell's story, when told by him, is how he is not the product of nepotism. He's a liar. I doth protest too much. He recounts a very real story, I'll give him, of, of how when he wrote Somebody's Watching Me, and he played it for his famous father, uh, Barry Gordy said, quote, don't quit your day job. That's all fine. 
I get that. When your father is Barry Gordy, you still have a life that promotes prosperity. You have opportunities no other human will have. You benefit, whether you like it or not, from nepotism. You enjoy generational wealth. You enjoy famous friends. You enjoy familial connections. Yeah, and you get a level of respect from anyone who knows who your dad is. Yeah, exactly. And when your dad is super famous, it's a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people want to be your friend who might not want to be otherwise. Yeah. And yeah, we're not going to get into ad hominem here, but Rockwell's guy gets kind of strange. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but anyway. It's also worth mentioning his birth mother is a woman named Margaret Norton, but Rockwell's stepmother is none other than Diana Ross. Hmm, how about that? How about that? Yeah, interesting, right? That's real weird. On that note, <laughs> it kind of fucking is, actually. Could you imagine... Yeah, your stepmom being. Di- I mean, I know he's connected and he grew up around. But could you imagine just like chilling at the pool and your stepmom Diana Ross is like fucking reading the newspaper, drinking a juice. <laughs> and on that note of prestige, generational wealth, and connections, Kennedy William Gordy, the man who would become Rockwell, went to the Beverly Hills High School, a school that Cora will tell you is not prestigious because rich people send their kids to private schools, which isn't wrong. Rich kids do get sent to private schools, but if you've known any casually rich folks out there or, hell, here in New York City, a lot of wealthy kids go to very good public schools, and I'm not even talking about just magnet schools, but just good public schools, and people, rich kids, celebrities send their kids to <laughs> Beverly Hills High School. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's probably like a fucking pretty good school. I don't know, a good school where you're going to make connections. It was chosen as the school for Cher from Clueless to attend for a reason, you know? Where did Sonny go to high school? Ha, 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 That was good. That was good. I actually liked that joke. The point is, connected kids go there. And it's at this school where Kennedy William Gordy became friends with a future rock star and also son of a celebrity and NBC television news producer. I'm talking about Lenny Kravitz. I want to get away. Uh, I want to fly away. Love that you chose that song, Jerry, because that's the song that Seth Binzer and his girlfriend made out in the video for. Right. Yes, how about that? Spins Spooky. Spooky threads. In fact, when Gordy first how about that just a hard segue right back into the screen. Just a screaming segue. Just sc- In fact, <laughs> I mean, this is a Halloween episode. Yeah, I like that. I just anytime I don't know what to do now, I'm just gonna segue in by In fact! When Gordy first wrote Somebody's Watching Me in 1982, as an 18-year-old, by the way, folks, he thought it was perfect for Lenny Kravitz. Well, Lenny Kravitz could pull off just about anything, so that's totally understandable. Are you a Lenny Kravitz fan? Like, like, per, like, you like, is that, like, is that your guy? You fuck, you like, you really like Lenny Kravitz? I mean, I'm just curious. There's no part of me that dislikes Lenny Kravitz, mm. but I don't like actively, like, 
There's never, you know, he's like some satellite guy that's been around forever, and I've never had been that. around for a long time, right? And I've never had that like, oh fuck, Lenny Kravitz moment, you know, which I've had. <laughs> no, with, you like, can't. Mo- you really can't. That's Except what for I'm one saying. Story I'm about to bring up. Oh, well, I can't wait. Yeah, um, we're gonna talk about that in a yeah. bit, Leonard. But before we get there, perhaps a shocker, folks. Somebody's watching me was not perfect for Lenny Kravitz. Oh. Kravitz doesn't want to be pop Jimi Hendrix. And, and, and no, I'm not being intellectually lazy, just going, black man with guitar. No. Kravitz's 60s fetish is implicitly and explicitly stated in everything he does. He, bell bottoms, come on, like is the beads, everything. He shreds and writes guitar rock because of Hendrix. He plays a flying V because of Hendrix. It sure shit ain't because of Dave Davies of the Kinks or blues legend Albert King. Oh, oh. maybe he wanted to be like Hunk Daddy Zach Wild. <laughs> shit, I guess this is that kind of podcast. I actually meant it honestly. I forgot that I even wrote that. That was not an ad lib. I wrote that into the script. I forgot that I wrote horniness into the script. I meant it honestly when I told you this wasn't going to be that kind of podcast. It's okay. I mean, I like I meant it, but I was wrong. It's hard to bring up Zach Wild without getting just a little flushed. Yeah, it's a little wild. Just oof. Anyway, I digress. But lastly, lest anybody out there think Lenny Kravitz is uh, cool, let me nail your coffin. That's how that expression goes, right? No, Andrew, that's not how that expression goes. Well, let me nail that coffin, Kravitz, whose father is a Jew. Leonard has gone on record. Leonard Kravitz, whose father is a good Jew, a proud Jew, I'm sure. I don't don't know anything much about him. (laughs) He's gone on record. Lenny Kravitz has gone on record saying, folks at home, that are you going to go my way? It's about Jesus Christ, who in Kravitz's own words is, quote, the ultimate rock star. And also a Jew. And... That is true, and also a Jew. But to be clear, besides being a Jew, Jesus Christ is not the ultimate rock star. He's the ultimate example of myth-making, of king-making. He's the ultimate example of deifying a long-since-dead and totally unknown person so the people who are actually in power can point to this dead God figure and tell their followers, see this dead dead person who's in charge? We serve him. You don't serve me. We all serve him. That's what Dave Miscavige is doing with L. Ron Hubbard. Miskovich obfuscates his stranglehold on Scientologists by deifying L. Ron Hubbard. Miskovich? Miskovich. You say Miscavige? He Miscavige. Pronounces it, I think he pronounces it David Miskovich. That's a lot nicer for him. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I, would, I guess I would pronounce it that way too. If. Well, Christianity and Jesus are no different than Scientology and what Miskovich, Miscavige, Mr. Cabbage is. He's no different than what Mr. Cabbage is doing with L. Ron Hubbard. And that's the true horror story of today, folks. Very spooky, very scary. And don't forget, despite what people say, there is no separation between church and state. And American is a Christian country. Yeah, our money says, God, in God we trust. Isn't that fucking, it. that's crazy. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Can we just stop with the bullshit already? Though? Very like scary clear. stuff. Very scary stuff. We got off on a tangent there. Sorry. Monsters are real. And they congregate. It's alive. The monster. It's alive. Ooh. Ooh.
How about that? Happy Halloween, folks. Moving on. So it's 1982. Kennedy William Gordy is 18 years old. His buddy, Lenny Kravitz, has decided to turn town taken. Somebody's watching me. Gordy's father, the founder of Motown, Barry Gordy, has rejected his son's single, telling him to keep at it and eventually he'll find a hit. That's got to be so crushing. Not only is your father like, your single sucks, <laughs> but then your father's also fucking Barry fucking Gordy. Right, yeah. Like, you that's know, like, like a tastemaker. Yeah, it's not like your dad who's a plumber said that. No offense to the plumbers yeah, out there, I'm yeah. just saying. He's, he does the music. He is the music. <laughs> well, the thing is about keep at it and find a hit, right? He already had a hit. His soon-to-be only actual hit. 1983, Kennedy William Gordy took advantage of his prestigious life and enlisted the help of some famous friends, the Jacksons. Oh, yeah, easy breezy peasy. Right? Crazy. Specifically, Jermaine Jackson and, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, the one, the only, the king of pop, Michael Jackson. Who's still just a fuck Holloway. <laughs> if you got to record a track. My buddy Mike. Hit up, Mike. You don't even need to be. It's not. There's no nepotism involved. No, there's no nepotism involved in that at all. No, none. So this is where things start to get a little funny. Obfuscation continues. Stories get twisted. To be clear, Kennedy William Gordy. Yeah, Rock. Let's say Rockwell. Rock. I'm so confused. <laughs> we. You keep saying Ke- Kenny William Gordy. We're, we're getting there, man. We're getting there. We're getting there. But Rockwell. Rockwell is an unreliable narrator. We're going to get into that later, but through his problematic behavior, through his trials and tribulations, through outright outright obvious lies he tells in latter-day interviews, we can see that Rockwell... The man known as see the motherfucker. See, we know that we know that Kennedy William Gordy, the man known as Rockwell, is not a reliable narrator. You, you got me, Jerry. You got me. Kennedy William Gordy's main assertion Stop. is he Rockwell. never once benefited from nepotism. We know that's a lie. He's the son of a record executive. He benefited from nepotism. The only way he wouldn't is if he had been given up for adoption. I don't know. He's like he's on a plane that crashes lost style. He just moves to another state and he's completely cut off from the Gordy family. I don't know. That didn't happen anyway. Yeah. One thing I can say for sure is I think maybe he was trying to say that he himself just didn't know what the word nepotism even means. <laughs> that may be actually what is really going on here. That's just that's like just what's coming out. He well, says he's never benefited from it. He's like, he just doesn't understand it. He just doesn't understand. What I get it. it. He doesn't understand a few things, and we're definitely going to talk about that in a bit. But so his father initially turned down the single, right? That's true. Okay, we have no reason to doubt that. Even though the only account of that really comes from Rockwell himself, as far as I can tell. But next, what we do know, Kennedy William Gordy. This is where it ends for real, Jerry. Don't worry. Sometime in 1983, changed his name to. Rockwell, that's true, can't dispute that. The name Rockwell allegedly comes from Kennedy William Gordy's ability to get this, Rockwell. 
as in he <laughs> is good at rocking. It is something that he does well. That's literally the same reason why my band is called Fuck Well. <laughs> well, next, he gets Michael fucking, fucking Jackson to sing the hook of the song. I'm sorry, that doesn't happen without nepotism, as as we basically alluded to already. Or a lot of money. Sure. Or an existing career. Sure. Those are the three. Sure. That is the only way. Uh, other, I mean, otherwise, is frankly an unknown, unproven, quite unremarkable 19-year-old performer getting Michael Jackson to sing the hook on a kind of goofy, gimmicky song is not happening, right? Unless, again, a lot of money. Sure. But it also helps in if your father is the founder of Motown. Yeah. Now, quick aside. Yes, folks, at home, that is Michael Jackson on the hook. So it is a Michael Jackson song. <laughs> In ways, it is, because he carries the song, right? He's singing the entire chorus with his brother Jermaine on backup. It's amazing. It explains so much. It really does. This is why people the world over still think this is a Michael Jackson song. And I still do. Even no, but sure, <laughs> no, hey, not playing man. the idiot, but yeah, it's surprising. Yeah, and it's, as we were kind of touching on before we hit the record button, it's weird. You hear his unmistakable voice, but he's still not giving it that full MJ treatment. Like it's, it's, it's frankly what's kind of haunting and bizarre about the song. You know, it's Michael Jackson. Everybody knows it's Michael Jackson, but it sounds kind of different enough where it's like you could believe it's Rockwell doing a quite serviceable Michael Jackson imitation. Well, at the very least, it sounds like Michael Jackson is doing a favor for his friend's son. Sure, that's <laughs> absolutely what's going that's on. That's definitely that type of performance. Oh, yeah, your kid needs a hook? All right. Well, so it's-, <laughs> it's the same song. Right, right, right. That's the joke. <laughs> Moving on, so to further send these things home, Michael Jackson is not credited for his performance, further obfuscating things. But again, it is Michael's voice. The tone of his voice is almost 100% unmistakable. His performance is 100% undeniable. The verses are gimmicky in this song, but the chorus, this is what carries the song, and that's... That's all Michael Jackson. Yeah, they had to have gotten paid out huge or just was a favor. Months before that, they signed a $5 million deal with Pepsi for some commercial work. He wasn't just like some guy you just call up as an up-and-coming artist and you're like, hey, I need no. a hook. That's another thing that happened in this in 1984 that we're not going to... Michael Jackson did a Pepsi commercial and it kind of something went wrong on set. I don't even know this. You don't know? The, oh, he caught on fire. He caught on he fire. He caught on fire. He caught on fire. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know. Film sets are dangerous places. Film sets are dangerous. Film sets are dangerous places. <laughs> dangerous places. There's nothing going on in the news at all right now that, that has any relevance to whatsoever. Isn't that right, Jerry? Wrong. <laughs> Wait, let's move on now. Let's move on. Oh, man. Well, so perhaps it's not surprising that, you know, even quote unquote without Barry Gordy's help, Rockwell was able to get signed to Motown. 
Yeah, hey, I just happen to have one of your biggest artists yeah. as a hook on yeah. my song. Like, <laughs> yeah. dude, maybe also my dad started the company. Like, maybe could you sign my band? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. No yeah. nepotism. What a fucking... He's clearly... I, he just doesn't know what the word means. I mean, he did it yet. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 listen, you see, <laughs> I love that explanation. That's an amazing explanation. <laughs> like, I don't know what the word means. It doesn't know what the word means. <laughs> are you saying something negative about me? Because that, if you are, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You see, folks, Rockwell, the way he got signed, was he allegedly, he clandestinely sent his Michael Jackson supported <laughs> demo to Motown without telling his father, the man who ran Motown, and the demo was accepted. And as Rockwell tells Rolling Stone, and in a December 7th, 2016 piece by Jason Newman, his father was very shocked by the whole thing. Yeah, sometimes stars just align like that, you know? <laughs> sometimes things just have a way of working out, don't they? The music industry is magical. It really is. It really is. And hey, wait, I mean, like, even... Uh, <laughs> We're gonna, we're gonna, I was getting ahead of myself. We're going to get into it. So Rockwell tells Newman, quote, when he, Barry Gordy, found out I was signed to Motown, he called me up one day and said, how did you get signed? How does this happen? What happened? Well, <laughs> I got some ideas. One, this is all a lie. I've, <laughs> I don't know. Hey, crazier things have happened. Um, and and so this could conceivably be a lie. Crazier things have happened. They also haven't happened. Things are made up. I don't know. You know, an entire litany of celebrate uh, celebrities have like cheated and lied to get their kids into fucking college. You know, I'm not putting anything past rich people in power. This could be a complete lie. I don't fucking know. Or, hey, two. This is probably, this is more, pro, pro, this is, this is not only more just plausible, this is more probable. Option two. My B-side's my A-side. You know what I'm saying? Number two. Michael fucking Jackson was on your hook. Like, what? Right. The fuck you mean how this happened? My guy, you sent a fucking demo to Motown with Michael Jackson on the hook. Shit fire. Yeah, you fucking got signed to Motown. Goddamn. Goddamn. The fuck? Michael Jackson on the hook. I'm, yeah, I mean, the label developed his whole solar career. They're just gonna like let let that <sighs> song pass pass through the desk. That would, that would they would be stupid. Yeah, why would he do that? Now, perhaps you're wondering how exactly the song was written. Well, sadly for you, the only explanation we have is a total lie. You see, <laughs> now we're going to get into the thick of Rockwell's bullshit. Jason Newman for Rolling Stone reports, Rockwell had written tracks before, but they were, as he put it, mediocre at best. He was frustrated, angry. He dropped to his knees and decided on a whim to pray. Quote, this is Rockwell now, folks. I asked God to give me it, he says. Quote, the prayer was, God Grant me the creativity to write a song that'll go to the top of the charts and tickle the taste buds of the music connoisseur. Everything came to me so easily after that prayer. Over the next two days, Rockwell sat down on his bedroom floor and began writing Somebody's Watching Me, with most of the studio version 
recorded during the first take. Wait, so you're telling me that through prayer, I too could also write a great song with Michael Jackson? <laughs> By the grace of God, yes, you can. Shit. Yeah, I know. I know. This Christianity thing seems pretty cool, right? Yeah, dude. Let's go to church. <laughs> Well, let's compare that to a very sus and uncomfortable 2016 interview Rockwell gave to the uh, the actress uh, Cher Cherry at the Los Feliz Three Cinemas in Hollywood. It is at this um, event on November 10th, 2016, when Rockwell was bestowed the Joe Wheeler Iconic Music Video Achievement Award for somebody's watching me. Very strange. I looked this up. I, whatever. This is not a show about the Joe Wheeler iconic. Anyway, here's an excerpt from this odd and unsettling interview in which Rockwell further distorts his God-given bullshit origin story for somebody's watching me. Just like that. I mean, it was the easiest thing that ever happened. I mean, it was like something was speaking through me. And that's why I feel that it was God. I feel it was the Holy Spirit speaking through me. God yeah. speaking through me. That's uh, beautiful. Because I went from the top of the song, from the very beginning of the song, the top all the way to the end, and everything that I said into that recorder became what somebody's watching me was. Nice. Melody and everything else. And, um, and words. And it was... It, it, a first take. It wasn't. I didn't have to keep doing wow. it over and again. It was the first time I did it. We we changed a couple of words. You know, I, I changed a couple of words. You know, mm -hmm. uh, here and there. You know, a few a few different things. But the most, the majority of it remained the same. Yeah, yeah. that is amazing. And you know, amen to that. Like that's beautiful that God has spoken to you. So. <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay, my favorite part is him saying that immediately after praying that he just sang the entire fucking song into the recorder. Boom! One take, you know? Yes, amazing. Fucking <laughs> such natural, such God. Oh, such God. Such beauty. Yes, the words and the melody done. No thought. And then, and then <laughs> he walks it back to say, oh, I'll change a few words here and there. That's such phenomenal, such just an absolutely phenomenal, I'm bullshitting you tell, you know? Like, if he had been allowed to just stammer about even longer, he would have eventually undone, like, everything he said. That was the path he was on. Oh, and he fucking hits on this interviewer three times in this 14-minute clip. It's so strange and uncomfortable. I don't, again, I'm so sorry. We try not to get into ad hominem, but, like... So frankly, comes off like someone who's fallen off the deep end and is just trying to get his kicks in before the whole shit house goes up in flames. I don't know. It's a rough one. It feels felt weird to watch. Michael Jackson said that all of his that he doesn't dance. God just dances through him. Oh, well, Michael, like, God. Michael Jackson also had a zoo, uh, had a fucking like zoo in his home. He was he was an interesting guy. Yeah, he also wouldn't walk it back at all. He would be like, "No, I'll tell it to you again." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't dance. God dances through me. Are you? Did you not listen to me? Uh, I guess he wouldn't. Very true. Not listening to me. <laughs> so anyway, folks, 
folks at home, hopefully it's clear how unreliable Rockwell is when it comes to telling his own story. Like, <laughs> so you should listen to us. <laughs> the, right. the only bit of Rockwell's story that I actually believe is some some of what he told the Rolling Stones' Jason Newman. Rockwell tells Newman how neighbors used to peer into his home growing up. I don't doubt that. I'm sure I was very uncomfortable. And also into the apartment that he shared with his at-the-time girlfriend. I believe that. I believe that. that That's something that rich people, especially celebrity, celebrity, celebrity families, have to deal with that. But another thing he would do to his girlfriend is he'd also play pranks on her scaring her in the shower. Totally normal stuff, right? I mean, pranks are fun. It's, I guess I've never been like much of a prankster. I'm a little bit of a prankster. Yeah. Oh, are you really? Are you really? Yeah, I, I, like, I like a fucking surprise. <laughs> I mean... A little spook here and there. I think I have... <laughs> a little goof. A little goof? You sound like a very sweet, like uh, you know, uh, one of the, one of those Clockwork Orange boys. Just a harmless calf. Anyway, another thing I believe is how he got Michael Jackson to sing the hook. Right? That's simple enough. Rockwell went over to Jackson's home and he played him the song. Right. Jackson. Anyone could do that. And. <laughs> Just yeah, just hit up your buddy Michael Jackson. Yeah, which is what he did. And then Jackson asked him who was going to sing backup, and Rockwell. This so this, this I believe he fully admits to just straight up asking Michael Jackson himself to sing the hook. Beyond that, I truly kind of very much do not trust Rockwell, and I don't believe any of you should either. Yeah, or just walk over to Michael Jackson's house. It's real casual. <laughs> Knock on the door and be like, you know, MJ. By now, everything was in place for Rockwell. His single, Somebody's Watching Me, was released on January 14th, 1984. His album by the same name was released on January 30th, 1984. Jason Newman for Rolling Stone reports... The song with its blend of new wave R&B and synth pop alongside Rockwell's haughty fake British accent entered the Billboard Hot 100 on January 28, 1984 at number 73, where it would spend 19 weeks on the chart and peak at number two behind Kenny Loggins' Footloose. It would eventually go gold, selling more than 500,000 copies three months after its release. And yeah... Fake British, fake British accent there. I love a good fake accent song. <laughs> yeah, well, you heard right. Let's check out a characteristically bizarre clip of Rockwell. I, I, uh, I have several things I want to talk to you about, one of which I've known your father for a lot of years, and he's probably watching now and will wonder, will I say something nice about him? No, I won't. Uh, because he's extraordinarily successful. A lot of people know you are his son, the son of Barry Gordy Jr. Letting that go away... Did you always want to be a performer, writer? Did you always have that ambition? Well, you know, it's something that I've often thought about. He's English. And, uh, He's turned English all of a sudden. It's, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing, being in around, around the business so long. Will you I stop with this? Been, I love you, man. <laughs> how long, how long did it take you to write Somebody's Watching Me? Um, well, that song actually took about, I'd say, about two days. It went to number one. It was, it was the easiest song I ever wrote, man. <laughs> Why? Why? Was it the first? 
Uh, no, it wasn't the first, but it was easy because, you see, I had a lot of camera action when I was younger, you know. And uh, I was, you know, I was in Caesar's Palace, you know, and Diana was having her show. And, you know, they, they, they saw me in the crowd and, you know. You absorbed all that. Yeah, I absorbed all Where do you get the inspiration? You write about politics, you write about personal experiences, romance, all of that stuff. Does it just come out of your head in the middle of the night or the morning or whenever? Well, it's just uh, it's a vibe, you know. It happens, and it's and sometimes I can't get you know the right vibe to happen, but it comes out of me, you know. Just Tell me about life this experience, one. Experience, life experience. Well, anyway, fake British accent aside, you hear what we hear, right, folks? Dick Clark on national television made it very clear that Rockwell's dad is Barry Gordy, the founder of Motown. I don't see how anybody could actually continue to spit this bullshit of Rockwell eschewed nepotism. He did not. People knew who he was, who his father was, and his story. The, the, the thing that just drives me nuts, though, is that Rolling Stone, the Rolling Stone piece that I keep quoting, actually says Motown decided not to promote Rockwell's relationship to his father or Jackson's appearance. To distance himself more from his familial connection, the singer would often affect a British accent, both on record and in interviews, jokingly claiming to be from Portsmouth, England. That blurb comes right before the clip of Dick Clark announcing back in 1984 on national television that Rockwell's dad is Barry Gordy. I'm sorry, I'm hung up on this, folks. But just how could a journalist in 2016 keep this bullshit up and then in that article after saying saying that there was no nepotism post the fucking video of Dick Clark being like, hey, yeah, we know your dad's Barry Gordy. It's outrageous. That is completely... Outrageous! It really Thank is terrible. You. No, you're completely right. It's com- either horrible journalism or it's someone just admitting that they don't know what the word nepotism means again, <laughs> which I think might be. <laughs> well, Rockwell continues on with Jason Newman by telling him, quote, I didn't want anybody to know or people to take the credit away from me and say, oh, if it wasn't because of Barry Gordy or Michael Jackson, you'd be nothing. I wanted people to think I was from some other country, but I, I soon let that go because I didn't want to be untruthful. <laughs> Holy shit! Where do we even begin? Dude! Dude! Yeah. Dude! You would absolutely be nobody if not for Barry Gordy and Michael Jackson. And what? Folks! Folks! You all heard that accent. That accent wasn't going to be fooling anybody at all. That can't be fucking leaned on as an actual tactic to obfuscate who he is. And just just the whole, I don't want to be untruthful thing is just, that's actually a little too rich to get into. The man who claims God, the man who claims God literally gave him the song, Somebody's Watching Me, doesn't want to be untruthful. Mm, Incredible. How about that? Isn't that interesting, huh? Fascinating stuff. Fuck yeah, it. it's really got to suck, too, that everyone still thinks it's a fucking Michael Jackson song. <laughs> well, at least me. Mostly just me, probably. <laughs> that's got to suck. That's actually a lot of people. I think there's a lot of people who actually think it's a Michael Jackson song. Yeah, okay, okay, cool. It's yeah. not just me, good. But before we move on from somebody's watching me, I think it's important to take in what was going on around the release of this single. Michael Jackson's album Thriller was released November 30th, 1982. If you recall, Rockwell wrote Somebody's Watching Me around 1982. On December 2nd, 1983, Michael Jackson released the landmark music video for the single Thriller. 
The single was actually released to the American public on January 23rd, 1984. Oh, yeah. The, the end of January or when you normally release <laughs> Halloween shit. Right? Exactly. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. Why was all of this stuff... So poorly planned out. Amazing. It's like, oh, we're just going to release it 11 months before (laughs) Halloween. I I will concede that the album Thriller coming out November 30th, even though it's a full month after Halloween, that kind of, you know, like... A lot of spooky posters. A lot of spooky posters. There you go. A lot of spooky posters in October. For the November release. There, exactly. There you go. Well, anyway, folks, another date for you. Somebody's Watching Me was released January 14th, 1984. That's 14 days after the world saw the Thriller video and about nine days before people could buy the Thriller single. Huh. How about that? Once Thriller, the single was released on January 23rd, 1984, just five days later on January 28th, 1984, Somebody's Watching Me entered the Billboard Hot 100 at number 73. And again, Michael was on this hook. Yeah, sounds almost as if people wanted more Michael. It really does sound like that, isn't it? Things couldn't have been planned better to get this single on the charts. This is a detail I've not seen anybody else really focus on. I guess there's not really a lot of people talking about Rockwell. But that's that's a very significant timeline that allows for somebody's watching me to be something devoured by an audience hungry for some sort of spooky and uh, thrilling music. The fact is, Rockwell and somebody's watching me is the 1980 Flash Gordon movie to Michael Jackson and Thriller's Star Wars. And if that's, if that's not landing them... I'm saying Rockwell is a schlocky, derivative, one-note version of, in this case, Michael Jackson. He's a cash-in for executives. Yeah, but there's actually fan, Flash there Gordon actually, fans out there. There are actually fans. There are actually fans of Flash Gordon of both the serial, the original serial, and the movie. And to be fair- It was the, a serial? It was delicious. No, but you know, the, 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 it was like a 1950s uh, okay, okay, serial okay, okay. drama. Sorry, sorry, yep, yep. You know, serial no, show. Yeah. I, I'm with you now. I apologize. Frosted Flash Gordon. Yeah, mm. I was like that. I was like, mm. that sounds good. <laughs> oh, baby. I guess it really is that kind of podcast. Oh, man. No, but yeah, but at the time, Flash Gordon, the movie, was mostly greenlit to be like, oh, we need a Star Wars, you know? Right. So, Rockwell. <laughs> I'll oh. take all that you got. <laughs> And in something we'll cover further down the line, Rockwell and his novelty hit may have also helped set a precedent for an equally as odd song. What about needing to wear your sunglasses at night? Is that supposed to be a spooky song or something? I always thought that was just about drugs. Yeah, I mean, no, no, it's not. I mean, I'm not saying it's since it's spooky, but it's not as odd. It's an odd song. Uh, right, right. It's okay. considered a novelty song. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But is it also about drugs? I thought it was just like, he thought he was being cool and like. I thought it was like he has to wear sunglasses. Because he's doing a lot of yak, I know, or like and his Molly. eyes are all fucked up. And then like, also the whole music video is like, a, there's like a lot of cops in prison. There's a lot of jail stuff happening in the video, and he's like has to put his sunglasses on so he if you go outside at night. I don't know, dude. This I is it was I, a drug song. This is 
I mean, no, this is definitely some, we- I mean, we'll talk about this when we cover the song, but this is definitely some weird, like, 80s, like, cheesy, I think I'm cool guy shit. Don't switch the blade on the guy in the shades. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't masquerade with the guy in shades. Like, what the fuck? He's talking about security. She's deceiving me. Damn, I don't fuck it. This is just like probably a stupid love song, actually. Anyway, back to the show. Rockwell and Motown followed up Somebody's Watching Me with the even goofier track, Obscene Phone Caller. <laughs> the song peaked at number 35 on the Billboard Hot 100. Chart. No, no, other, no other single of Rockwell's debut would catch fire with the public, except for the maudlin and undercooked single Knife. Knife is Rockwell's biggest hit in Brazil. That's not a knife. This is a knife. That's my Brazilian accent. You know it's the scary episode when Jerry's doing the accents and not me. This is is the evil Jerry does accents. Well, you know what accents are? They're voice costumes. Wow. Damn. Fuck. No one could ever say we don't smoke weed when we take breaks during this show. (laughs) No, no one can ever say that. That's true. But anyway, folks, if you think I'm gassing it about this song, Knife, being a big hit in Brazil, uh, no, 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 no. This was a big hit in Brazil. Peep any Rockwell video on YouTube, scroll down through the comments, and there is a very good chance you'll find a bit of Portuguese, quite a bit of Portuguese. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I generally believe, I looked it up. Really? Because I was so curious. I was like, really? Amazing. And you're not at all it's wrong. It's crazy, right? It's tons of Portuguese. Yeah. yeah. So freaking specific. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, this should be a whole other episode. I know we have a list that's yeah. really running by now, and we're not catching up on this list at all. <laughs> but bad bands that, like, specific countries would fucking kill or be killed for. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like... Oh, it's so weird. Yeah. Well, speaking of weird, man, Knife is kind of crazy. Knife? It, to me, sounds like something that could have been in the original run of Twin Peaks, at best. It's an absolutely, uh, just absurdly melancholic, maudlin, schmaltzy, and over-the-top song. And the chorus is, mmm, I mean... I feel crazy even calling it a chorus. It's not very catchy, to say the absolute least. But for some reason, this song connected with the good people of Brazil in 1984. And it's 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 sort of love affair. It's a love affair that's lasted. Just about that. Yeah, just about every Rockwell production sounds kind of like... A whole bunch of Jeezy 80s Casio keyboards. Yeah. And I think this is the ultimate example of that. It really is. It really is. You're very right, man. The album Somebody's Watching Me also included a fucking Beatles cover 
the badass tone-setting opener of 1966 Revolver, Taxman, the Beatles used George Harrison classic to instantly indicate that Revolver was a different type of record. Something nobody had ever heard before, truly. When's our Beatles up? <laughs> well, actually, oh, we'll talk about that later. Okay. I actually have... Right? I have something to say about that, but you will that's for off that's for off Mike Jerry. Oh the Beatless? The Beatless. The Beatless? So let's just say, folks, Rockwell's version of Taxman definitely doesn't live up to that standard that I just described. His version kind of sounds like someone heard the pleasure principle and thought that needed to be the stylistic setting for a Beatles cover, which could be cool. This didn't work here. No, I think that's even giving it too much credit still. I just got to go okay, back yeah, to these yeah, right. cheesy Casio keyboard songs. You know, Pleasure Principle was released in 79. They're right. using Moogs on their recordings. and Not that like terrible brand new 80s FM synthesis that was just breaking through and just getting to studios and has not really totally held up except for the few that have perfected it. And that's just whatever. It's because they've got to play with it for 30 years. It's just sure, to Or you cool. want to use it to evoke a catch factor now. Right. Is. Instead of it being like your entire production, right. you know, like it was it just, it's, it doesn't hold up. Right, 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 right. Yeah, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Even in the literal music, it, it's a cheap, literal cheap imitation yeah, of yeah. what... Oh boy! Yeah, oh pleasure principle boy. had those big bogues. Yeah, know? No, that's it, like not. I definitely don't mean the quality of sound is similar. It's just you know in the song sure. structure and like you could tell with the even with those cheap sounds what they were trying to go for. I was just getting nerdy on gear. No, I love it. Oh, I don't talk nerdy to me, daddy. Anyway, beyond that, just one year later in 1985, Motown released Rockwell's sophomore album, Captured. She's creepy, creepy fucking, creepy fucking name for things. Captured's lead single was a track bizarrely titled He's a Cobra, and it featured Stevie Wonder. No doubt an attempt to replicate the success had with Michael Jackson's feature on Somebody's Watching Me. Well, He's a Cobra was a total dud and failed to chart. Yeah, there isn't a single YouTube upload of that song with over two and a half thousand views. Oof, it's wow. like, it's weak, 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 weak. Yeah, as we'll touch on a little bit later, there's a huge drop off between the Somebody's Watching Me related yeah, streams yeah, and yeah. then she has a huge drop off. Perhaps the most dramatic out of any artist we've ever looked at yet. Well, you just took my line from later. <laughs> you can still say the line. If I'm going to say it again. We're going to keep all this in. I'm going to say it again. But let's keep moving. All right. Where are we? Capture. Capture's biggest single, the upsettingly titled Peeping Tom, didn't do too well. It peaked at number 21 on the Billboard Dance Club chart. It's kind of cool. But Peeping Tom is thankfully. Not a song about a man leering into a woman's home. Rather, it's some strange sort of wish fulfillment on Rockwell's part. It's a song about a woman spying on him. Kind of like his fantasy behind obscene phone caller. As Rockwell tells Jason Newman for Rolling Stone, quote, Oh, this quote is just so, this quote is just, this quote is just so icky. I, and I'm a weird guy, but anyway. Quote, 
I always wanted women to just call me and be obscene phone callers. I wonder if that wish ever came what? true. <laughs> we should get his phone number and give him a couple of obscene phone calls. Just a Oh, I'm good. I'm I'm what the boys call verbal. But could you just imagine like having your like girlfriend and being like, baby, go 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 in the other room and call me. Call me. Just go in the other room and call me and say nasty Scream things. Scream fuck. <laughs> oh, see, I I like your take. That's gonna be like fuck. I was imagining it would be like, you know, like, oh, sexy talk. Like, obscene, like, oh, I want... Yeah, yeah, I know. I want your penis, Rockwell. Like, things like that, you know. I can't wait to swallow your cum, Rockwell. Things like that. No, I like the... I like just like, fuck, shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> just I like, a list. Okay, I, let's, I like your version, too, actually. Right. But just really... Both of us like my version. What the fuck, honestly, does it even mean? I don't know. Me neither. I just... It really is... Ah. But I do hope he got a few of them. <laughs> Whatever he did want. But, I hope so, too, man. Well, listen, hey, perhaps, obviously, Rockwell's sophomore album, Captured was not the success he or Motown had hoped for. Next, again, just one year later, in 1986, just at it, the now 22-year-old Rockwell released his third and final album, The Genie, released, again, via Motown. The Genie was a failure. Wait, so you're saying... The guy with a sophomore slump <laughs> still got a third album release by the same label? Oh, yeah, yeah. How about that? Wait, did his dad start the label or something? Oh, you know something, Jerry? I think you're on to something. I here. think maybe it's... Mm. Well, this is the end of Rockwell's career, but not quite the end of his story. Rockwell tells Jason Newman of Rolling Stone, again, this is a 2016 interview, quote, <laughs> this fucking quote, this fucking quote, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't realize this is one of those, this is like one of those moments, folks. This is like peak, just, this is up there. This is, this is a real special moment for this show right here. This is a tremendous amount of bullshit. This is an amazing quote. This is Rockwell explaining why, why he stepped away from the music industry. Quote, I just needed to stop because it wasn't fun anymore. It became more of a job. I needed more life experience. I needed to just be a regular guy. And that's why I disappeared. I came from a king, Barry Gordy. I'm like a prince. And I wanted to not be sheltered from average, everyday people. and just wanted to live and learn. And laugh and love. <laughs> yeah, dude, this guy, this, oh, this fucking guy. I hope I don't need to editorialize here, folks at home, but I will. One, this is a self-preservationist's way of saying, I failed, I took my ball and went home. Two, this man literally said, I came from a king and I'm like a prince. I wanted to not be sheltered from average everyday people and just wanted to live and learn. I love and love. Hey, folks, 
Hey, folks at home. Hey, average everyday people. Rockwell is among us. Hope you're all happy about that as I am. It's also so funny to want to separate from all that, but then also start a very public music career, very <laughs> publicly attached to your enormous father. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, no, I don't want to be in the spotlight and like attached to my dad. And I'm not like, an, uh, there's no nepotism, but. Right. This is what I'm going to do, you know. I want to be an artist, and uh, my dad's going to sign me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And listen, folks, I, I'm not actually going to dig my heels in as much as I could on this, like, whole, like, him literally, like, he's, when he says that he came from a King Barry Gordy and he's like a prince and that he wants to be among the average people, he's not saying that with a, the slightest bit of irony. He's saying that in a completely serious way. There's like not this there's not the slightest bit of irony or like an even self-deprecating awareness for understanding how absurd of what he's saying is. He re- like he really he really means that. And the funny thing is because it, like it is it is true to an extent, but then to earnestly also believe that about yourself and say you want to be among the average People on 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 honestly, I'm not a professional psychiatrist, psychologist, psychiatrist. One of them prescribes drugs and the other talks to you or something. I don't fucking know. Or they both talk You're to you. Not a professional of either. I'm not a professional of either. That's for shit sure. So I'm not here to unpack this, folks. But holy shit, this guy is. I guess this is what happens to you when you grow up so detached from reality. I don't fucking know. Well, this Rolling Stone piece ends with Rockwell threatening that he has a new album on the way titled Second Coming. That would be a very scary thing, but thankfully that album has yet to materialize. So what happened after 1986? We don't really know, but it's clear Rockwell was done with music. Flash forward to 2009. Rockwell and his song, Somebody's Watching Me, had been included in millennial-era countdown shows of one-hit wonders. He was touched on in VH1's popular, cheap-as-fuck, green-screen, talking-heads-style TV show, I Love the 80s. Rockwell was once again part of the zeitgeist. Q Geico. You know, the gecko that everybody loves. Geico used Somebody's Watching Me in a television ad. Now, you may think Rockwell caught, caught quite the check for that. He had to have at least gotten some free insurance, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. I actually wonder. I always wonder. Like, you know, you do, you, you're, I mean, I guess if you're famous, right? You do a commercial, you get, for a clothing brand, you get free clothes. I want to know, like, how many boxes of Wheaties you get if you're on you, the, you the box of Wheaties. Oh, like the exact box amount. Like, we're are trying we talking to go about a hundred boxes? My goal is for this show to eventually be sponsored by Grinder, and just to, even though I've, I like, I, I want to have unlimited for the rest of my life, even though I'm probably never going to use it again because I'm actually kind of, oh my kind God. of in love. Oh Isn't that crazy? Oh my God. No, no, we're not going to talk about it, but I just... It's funny because like, I haven't said that to you yet. Now I'm, so, I'm actually like, I'm, 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 I'm. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the show. <laughs> but yeah, oh, that's adorable. Yeah, not amazing. That's very sweet. And so now our story starts. 
Uh, but no, I want Grinder Unlimited for I want that for life, and I want Grinder to sponsor this show because I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, I mean, you could still have a Grinder and be in love. Oh no, I'm- <laughs> those are mutually exclusive. That's true. Actually, that's very true. We've talked about that. That's true. It's fine. If we, but I, that's actually very true. But I'm just not interested. I'm not going to pay the forty bucks anymore a month. She is now. She, no, She's no, but pay for it for you. No, I wouldn't put that on her. But if Grinder wants to sponsor the show, then give me free unlimited forever. Then you should talk to me about it, Grinder, because. I'll I'll promote you. I'll promote your show. I'll promote your app. We just did. So let's move on. We're only getting paid by uh, Rockwell today. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, right. I am Dracula. So Geico pulled a smart move here. They had the song re-recorded, so they didn't have to pay any astronomical fees for performances. Performances not just by Rockwell, but specifically Michael Jackson. So, with the song we recorded, there was no recurring payday for Rockwell. He just got publishing rights, and that ultimately was a much smaller check compared to what the recurring payday of having performed on a song in a commercial would be. Yeah, I wonder what the payday looks like for the guy who did record the Geico version. It was two guys, and they've made jokes about how well they're doing. How well they're doing indeed. Oh, they got jokes? They got jokes, and they're doing oh. well. How about that? Isn't that interesting? Good for them. Very, very fascinating stuff. Very happy for those boys. Good for them. Well, things, by the way, folks, are sadly not quite working out well for Rockwell. He's been through what appears to be at least two divorces. In 2016, he filed for a restraining order against his ex, Leslie Miller. Rockwell claims Miller attacked him May 30th, 2016. She was arrested on charges of misdemeanor battery. Miller was released on June 2nd, 2016. Miller was not prosecuted due to insufficient evidence. And also maybe because Rockwell was a little into it. (laughs) He's into weird things. Who knows? Who knows what he's actually into in the bedroom? But again, remember, consent is key. May 25th, 2017. If that was not consent, then you probably should call the cops. Right, right, right. Okay. But May 25th, 2017, Nancy Dillon for the New York Daily News reports R&B singer. Oh, this is where things are wild. This is things go wild. Uh, R&B singer Rockwell, the artist behind the monster 80s hit, Somebody's Watching Me reportedly got arrested at his Los Angeles residence after an alleged fight over a sandwich. Mm. The performer, whose how about this, real name is Kennedy William Gordy, allegedly turned violent and hit his housekeeper because uh, she didn't make his lunch fast uh, enough. Uh, mm. Oh, no. Mm. Nah. Well, by June 4th, 2017, Rockwell was cleared of these charges. Again, insufficient evidence. How about that? That is just not... He is... Wow, what a piece of shit. Yeah, right. And that wasn't the end of his troubles either. You don't say. I do, I do, I do. There's more? No, there are. Yes, indeed. Website The Blast reports on Rockwell attacking a woman and... Beating her with a chair. The website, The Blast? The Blast. Theblast.com. Theblast.com. All right. Yeah. Rockwell, real name, K. 
Kennedy Gordy, they left out the William, was arrested November 29th, 2018 in Hollywood after the incident went down at the Magic Castle Hotel, and he was booked on felony charge with $30,000 bail. Sources familiar with the situation tell The Blast the woman was working for the 54-year-old singer at the time, and we're told that along with being physically and verbally abusive, he owed her money. On the night of November 29th, we're told the woman approached Rockwell about payment, and he became irate and attacked her with a chair. Oh, fuck. Resulting in serious injuries, including a broken arm. The oh, 54 what a fucking dick. I, right? This fucking guy attacking fucking 50... He fucking, he fucking attacked a woman with a chair. Anyway, the 54-year-old singer spent a couple days in jail and was released on the morning of December 1st. The woman has undergone one surgery and we're told she needs to go under the knife again to repair the extensive damage to her arm. On January 7th, she filed a lawsuit against Rockwell in Los Angeles for personal injury and claims her damages exceed $25,000. I bet he didn't think the knife would come back into his life this way. How could he have ever guessed? Cuts like a knife. Yeah. See, that's, I hate that chorus so much. Oh. oh, the troubled son of Barry Gordy has multiple criminal cases <laughs> open at the moment, including one for criminal threats and another for indecent exposure and lewd acts. He has not yet been in court over the alleged chair beating. And that's Rockwell's story. Oh, yes. How about that, wow, folks? Wow, Isn't wow. that interesting? Lots of fascinating stuff there. Learned. That was actually... That was the, that was, that was the harshest, meanest end of any Bad Bad Great Song story yet. That was... Mm, uh, yeah. Oh, folks, lest my fervent delivery get in the way of it, let's make this clear what we ended on. Rockwell is multiple criminal cases open at the moment. Yes, of course, this is is from 2018. This is from 2018. But there hasn't been much. He hasn't done much lately. But as of 2018, he had multiple criminal cases open for criminal threats, indecent exposure, and lewd acts. How about that? Family stuff on this show. Kids, put your parents to bed. Anyway, let's talk about the critical reaction, commercial impact, chart success, and fan response. Okay. (laughs) Critical reaction. Well, funny thing, folks. Pretty much nothing from the time regarding Rockwell has really been digitized. How about that? Not so funny. (laughs) So we don't really have much to go (laughs) off of, but we do thankfully have this... April 1st, hmm. April 1st, 1984, New York Times piece by Stephen Holden to reference. Well, it's not too surprising for some reason. Like, Rockwell doesn't even seem to have an official YouTube account. It's a Vivo, right? It's a weird Vivo account. It's yeah. a weird Vivo, and it's got one upload on yeah. it. Like, yeah. it doesn't even have his other yeah. videos. Yeah, it's like a low-key cryptic YouTube channel. It's very weird. Something's very weird. I love happening. it. It's so bizarre. Well, Holden's New York Times piece from April Fool's Day, 1984, is entirely about artists who are unarguably indebted to Michael Jackson. The piece is titled, It Takes Star Quality to Share the Jackson Limelight. And let's get this out of the way. 
That headline doesn't mean that any of the artists in question have that star quality. It's just a statement. I don't think it really implies that Rockwell does. He writes that Rockwell has, quote, hit the top of the pop charts with the novelty hit, Somebody's Watching Me, which features prominent backup vocals by Michael Jackson. Both the song and the album, Somebody's Watching Me, pick up the theme of playful paranoia that runs through Thriller and make it more concrete. So, what are the takeaways? Well, first off, Somebody's Watching Me was clearly seen as a, at the time as a novelty hit. So much closer to the Monster Mash than Thriller, right? Yeah, it's totally a graveyard smash. <laughs> yes. Michael Jackson is also clearly a great attractor when it comes to this song. Yeah, I, I, think, it's, I think it's fair to say that reviewers knew that this song and Rockwell weren't going to set the hearts and minds of on fire, you know. But uh, fuck, it's a fun song, ain't it? Halloween is fun. Halloween is fun. Halloween is fun. Commercial impact. Somebody's watching me. The single went gold in Canada, selling 50,000 copies and America selling 500,000 copies. Wikipedia claims it also has a separate gold certification for its digital sales, which is something that can actually happen with the RIAA. But when reviewing the RIAA's catalog of certifications, Somebody's watching me does not have any separate certification of any kind for digital sales. So I, I don't know where that you're getting that from. <laughs> Definitely not the RIAA itself. Somebody's watching me. The album went gold in the U.S., selling at least 500,000 copies. Thanks really solely to the single of the same name. Chart success. Ha! <laughs> this is the scariest part of the script. Somebody's watching me peaked at number one on Billboard's Hot R&B Hip Hop Songs. Stop. Number two on the Billboard Hot 100. Stop. Number two on Cashbox. Now, for those who don't know, along what? with Record World, how, how about these her names? Cashbox and Record World. Along with Record World and Billboard, Cashbox was the third major trade publication for the music industry in America, which is where charts come from. Record World is done for. And Cashbox is now cashboxmagazine.com, a very strange music website, which also still has charts. How about that? Some of those mm. charts include, get this folks, Beach Music, Top 40, Ro <laughs> Roadhouse Blues and Boogie, Chum. Oh, try this one out for size. Christian Servant Top 50 Pick. What? Oh, yeah, baby. This, what? This one is my... This, oh, I love this one. This is another chart on, on CashboxMagazine.com. Christian Voice Country Christian. And, <laughs> and, of course, Canadian Charts. That's a fake... This is a... This is just fake. This is all fake. This is all fake. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> no, yeah. This is ridiculous. We're going to look at this again very soon. top 50 pick. Christ yeah. This is a this is a chart. Christian titled, voice cr country Christian. Christian voice country Christian. It sounds like an algorithm put that together. I'm telling you, this is a fake website. <laughs> it is a scary it is a scary website. How much money did you send them? 
none, none. Come on. I'm not, come on. I'm not a boomer. I don't just send money to scams. Anyway, how dare you? Anyway, back to somebody's watching me. The single also peaked at number three on the Billboard Dance Disco Top 80. <laughs> Weird. And number 31 on the Top Tracks chart. It also reached number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100 year-end chart for 1984. Boo! Fan response. I mean, people knew what was up. Like, the song went gold, right? Like, But it didn't do much at all beyond that. It definitely did not cement Rockwell's career. People knew what they had on their hands with this. There are no Rockwell concerts. Nobody's clamoring for Rockwell's music. Somebody's watching me. The album version and the single edit have the most streams on Rockwell Spotify. The album edit has 27,781,113 streams on Spooterfy. The single edit has 114,546,125 streams on the Spotted Fly. Compare that to Obscene Phone Caller, which has 44,548 streams on Slopify. Hey, Andrew. That may be the most drastic drop in plays that we have had on our show so far, Andrew. Wow, what amazing insight, Jeremy. New breaking information being added to the show. <laughs> and each subsequent song in the top 10 has several thousand plays. Well, I didn't, I didn't read the script ahead of time, folks. I didn't see what Jerry's editions were. So here we are, happy accidents. But anyway, every subsequent song after that in the top 10 has several thousand plays. Like Knife having 5,334 streams, which I honestly believe if we could see like the geographic data on that, Brazil. Dude, how, how much you want to bet? It's like almost 100% Brazil. <laughs> All those 500, those 5,334 streams of, uh, of Knife. That, we're going to talk about this, I think, later in the script. I think I wrote this, but that reached top, the top, that peaked at number 12. Knife peaked at number 12 on the Billboard pop ch- Brazil nice. pop charts. Anyway, the only actual anomaly in that top 10 on Spotify is, is this track called, Is It Scary? Threatened. <laughs> From the Michael Jackson Immortal album, and it features Rockwell and 50 Cent. I don't know. It's fucking terrible. And it has 1,340,372 streams. How about that, huh? I refuse to listen to that song. <laughs> it's terrible. I'll listen to just about anything for this show. Not that one. That's not worth it. Was not worth it. I, I will quit the show before I listen to this song. Oh, segment three. What makes this band bad? We're about to take this horse home and then we're going to fuck this horse. Uh, that, that, oh, wow. That, that expression has gotten so extruded in the most wild and disgusting ways for me just originally. And I think the Soul Asylum episode asking is, is bring this horse home an expression? I still don't know if is is bring this horse home and express. We know you could bring a horse home, but you can't make a fuck your wife. And now I'm apparently bringing horses home and fucking them. And this is how I'm beginning the segment. And I still don't know if 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 bring this horse home is an expression or not. Rockwell's primary issues are as follows. He's an unintentional novelty artist. He sadly lacks a truly identifying quality. His ability as a singer is 
quite limited, and he lacks a truly characteristic and recognizable voice. And lastly, <laughs> he's a weak songwriter. So, about him being an unintentional novelty artist, well, this, this also feeds into the final point, by the way. How about that? Time's a circle, isn't it? Very interesting, very fascinating. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. What do you tell me? What's fascinating? Well, that's how you know. Uh, right, okay, you know, right, yeah, right, that's right. exactly. It's a cue to the audience to. It says to be like, oh, it's, yeah. It says now's the time to listen. Ooh. On Rockwell's debut album, ah, he has two 100% writing credits. No. Somebody's watching me. An obscene phone caller. A hundred percent writing. Sure. Definitely not performing. Definitely not performing. But now, to his credit, he does have 100% songwriting credits on his biggest hit. Uh, but not performing. <laughs> not performing. But also, unfortunately, to his credit, it, 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 it proof that he caught lightning in a bottle with that one. Obscene Phone Caller is a song that proves Rockwell. Well, when he's left to his own devices, he kind of can't avoid being woefully goofy. He relies on shtick. But it doesn't seem like he thinks he's doing anything corny and unintentionally comedic. He just is. And shit, if he could have gotten MJ to record that shitty chorus for him, it probably would have been a hit too. <laughs> Maybe, actually. Who knows? Actually, yeah, probably, right? Yeah, why, why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Jackson on the hook, it'd be huge, whatever. Well, Upsie fell collar. While I'm about to make the case that he's a rather mediocre at best vocalist, he didn't do himself any favors with his biggest hit. No, whoa. On Somebody's Watching Me, his main vocal contribution is the ridiculous bargain bin Vincent Price delivery of the verses. It's Michael fucking Jackson on the hook for the entire chorus and the entire outro of the song. And so I actually think it's fair to say that Michael Jackson was just so good, even when people weren't 100% sure if they were hearing him or not, his singing completely carried a song and made it a hit. Without the King of Pop on the hook, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure we'd be doing this episode, frankly. Most of us may never even have heard the song, you know? Yeah, pretty safe to say none of us would have. <laughs> and as you'll hear on his subsequent songs and records, as he gets further away from camp and shtick, he becomes increasingly unrecognizable and bland. He should have just ran with the whole Halloween thing and just been like that, the Halloween guy. That could have like worked. Halloween pop star. That could have worked. There's got to be so many more good Halloween songs that haven't even been written yet. <laughs> I yeah, I agree. I will something we'll talk about at some Halloween. I think Jared Way. I do love My Chemical Romance, folks, but I think Jared Way solos. Career, a really good song. This is Halloween song, baby. Your haunted house. Maybe we'll do it uh, for Purim instead. (laughs) 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 Well, it's a shame Rockwell didn't come about in the time of memes, being an edge lord and making shit posts. Gimmicks are kind of over now more than ever, as long as you're smart about it and telling a good joke in the process. In so many words, it's a bummer he's not on TikTok. Could have done something, I think. Yeah. But next up, his ability as a singer, his how he's a limited vocalist. Hmm. I don't think that's really debatable. The thing is, his whole thing is that he's a singer. <laughs> imagine a rapper who's not a remarkable rapper. How about that, huh? Wouldn't you know? Yeah, imagine the best singing on any song you ever wrote for yourself to sing wasn't you singing. Right, yeah. Right, exactly. 
Well, Rock, I'll be it would on, be a bummer. It would be, it would be a bummer. If you on that Rockwell's range is limited, what he can do within that range also isn't much. He also shoots for Michael Jackson and Prince-esque timbres, and that means, frankly, he kind of lands somewhere in the range of sounding nasally and or weak. Ballads really suffer when Rockwell is on the mic, despite what the good folks of the great country of Brazil think. Nice. <laughs> Knife suffers because of Rockwell. Captured's Don't It Make You Cry also underscores this point. He cannot carry a ballad. It's really a surprising hit in the sense that I have no idea how or why it's a hit. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh, and last thing about his voice. You won't recognize him when you hear him. Guaranteed. The only you you you're gonna hate the way he sounds. I guarantee it. The only way the only way you can identify this man's voice is if you already know his complete discography. Yeah, not to mention if you're listening to an interview and then all of a sudden he goes into a British accent. Like, how yeah, are you supposed to know who this guy is? So, final point. He's a weak songwriter, and I, oh, I've been waiting. To get, oh God, I've been waiting to get to this one. Oh, oh, goodness, I should say. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, he's a weak songwriter. As I discussed earlier, he has two full writing credits on his debut. <laughs> he has one full writing credit on his follow-up, and it's the worst track on the album. He has zero full writing credits on his final album. How about wow. that for some data IRL? Weak guy. Yeah. I do love that subreddit, by the way. Anyway, data IRL. Ah, and, and the more you listen, by the way, to his output... You understand that he makes insane choices. And when he's left up to his own devices, things get crazy. His final album, The Genie, really shows this. First track, That's Nasty, sees Rockwell in full monster mash intonation and phrasing. Indeed, it was a graveyard smash. It caught on in a flash. (laughs) But... Oh, man, he's really just a very bad songwriter. Let's look at Brazil's favorite knife. Knife. Let's check out the chorus. And folks, folks, folks at home, you let us know if you think we got something snappy on our hands here. Wow. Honestly, it's like it's like a literal alien, like a person from Mars learned English a week ago and had to write a poem today. I don't think I need to go any further, folks. I don't know. That's it. That's a course written by uh, Kennedy William Gordy, the man we call Rockwell. I don't know. It's a perfect night for mystery and horror. The air itself is filled with monsters. Well, let's get into something really spooky now. And let's talk about what makes this song great. Uh-oh. This is definitely our Halloween episode, if yeah, you couldn't tell. <laughs> you didn't know already. Well, let's go for the technical analysis. So, technically speaking, Michael Jackson's on the hook. And that's our show, folks. Yay! Yay. Yay. 
da, 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 da. Thanks for coming. Jokes. Next jokes. week, our episode is going to be. <laughs> Somebody wants to. Well, I, let's not get into this now. Anyway, folks. Oh, it's not over. Okay. <laughs> Listen, jokes, jokes, jokes. But okay, kind of actually not. This song is very straightforward. And from a technical standpoint, that's why it succeeds. It never lets up. It's literally the same chord progression the entire fucking way. A spooky progression at that. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, actually. Yes. And hey, there's no shifting dynamics and the energy never dips. There's no breakdown. <laughs> hey, hell. How about that? There's hey, barely, hey, 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 there's barely a bridge. Barely a bridge. Hey, but, but what we do have is an extreme contrast in vocals, both regarding tone and quality and performance and delivery. Rockwell is giving us his version of a quirky and lively Vincent Price doing the monster mash. In 1984, the New York Times called this rap. Mm. I'm not sure that's accurate. Do you He's, not normally go to the New York Times to find out what is or is not rap? rap? Yeah. It's not really where I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Is this, ra- the, is this rap column? Is this the rap column? In the Sunday New York Times? Is I, that's that's why favorite. I buy the Times. That's my favorite section of the Times. Is this rap? Is this rap? With somebody working on 42nd Street. Well... <laughs> He is talking in a very garishly gauche and also glaringly obvious way with very simple rhymes, but I don't I don't know if I don't know if that's rapping. I just don't know. I don't know. But then of course, as we've talked about, there's Michael Jackson and his whole work on the course, the hook, which I do need to address. I feel compelled to just call this the hook, but boy. I don't know how it's functioning. It's it's, it's just a course. It's, it's not the first thing we hear in the song. It's something we get to. So, I don't know. It's not really a hook, but damn, it just fucking... Just, honestly, it's the best part. It bangs so hard. It just feels like the hook in a modern day pop song, you know? It, like, it just... It feels like a vocal hook, you know? It's... But it's also really just a chorus. It kind of fucks me in the head. Yeah, and even though MJ is putting not much work into his performance, right. it still slaps so much harder than anything rock yeah. can deliver. It really, you're dead right, man. The hook of the song is arguably, actually, maybe the synth pattern at the beginning, or perhaps even the slapping synth bass. Both are very memorable, and they're the first things we hear, but, oh, man... That chorus. So back to the real point here. Michael Jackson's vocals provide some important, tuneful, catchy, and deeply affecting elements to this song. It's a perfect contrast to Rockwell's more gimmick-heavy delivery in the verses. Way too many cheesy growls for me. (laughs) Well, which leads me to this. Rockwell does something interesting here. He shifts his intonation just enough before the chorus to almost give the impression that he's the one singing, not Jackson. Remember, Michael Jackson's uncredited. It comes out in lines when he says things like Twilight Zone, just before the chorus. You can tell he's going for a Michael-like sound, uh, but again, all, all he does is just become nasally. But he's making that shift for a reason. And again... Michael Jackson's uncredited. This is not a mistake. I don't think it's a mistake anyway. They want 
to lead you to believe it could be him on the hook <coughs> chorus. Fuck. Yeah, I mean, it's a smart move, and I think they it certainly helps trick people into thinking that it might be just an MJ song for decades to come. For sure. Because it tricked me. Uh, yeah. Until working on this record. Yeah. Not this record. This podcast. This is a record. This is re- this, this is a record. This is a record of, of audio work. Yeah. This is re- audio recording. Well, also another thing this song does well technically is it <laughs> just because the whole outro to Jackson. Why not? <laughs> Michael Jackson is the last two minutes of the album version and the last minute and a half plus of the single edit. And with this song, Michael Jackson and Motown proved. That's all you needed. MJ on the hook. How about that, huh? It's actually kind of cool. <laughs> actually, yeah. It actually, it's fucking amazing. Such a proof of concept. Like, here, look, we could just put Michael Jackson on anything. Watch. It's kind of like Sriracha, right? I'm Sorry, not... is that... I was never Sriracha. But, like, kids, people like that, right? Is that, isn't that a reference? I'm trying to shoot down the middle uh, and appeal to the American public. Don't, don't people know. love Sriracha? I think the thing... With everything is that not everybody likes it. Damn. Wow. I want I wish that was just I wish that were just the show, folks. You that just floored me. I don't even want to go any further. But we have to. So let's talk about our personal analysis. Um Well, I can't lie, folks. Don't. I, I, I don't have a personal connection to this song. I'm not going to pretend to. Um, I also, you know, I fully recognize that it's goofy. (laughs) When I look back on the song and I think about why I may personally really enjoy it, uh, all I think about is the chorus and the music video. We haven't talked much about the video at all, really. But folks, you should definitely watch it. If you've never seen it, it's a good Halloween time thing to do. It's a very cartoonishly spooky sort of thing. And at least there's a very cute dog in it. So if if you don't like it, you will like the dog. Very cute dog. Come for the song, stay for the dog. But this song does something kind of special. It straddles... (laughs) It straddles. It straddles the line between novelty song and actual pop song that you want to bump. And that's due mostly to Michael. To be fair... Rockwell wrote this, but Michael Jackson's performance really makes a song. We already established that. Beyond that, I I think this song shows a surprising peek into who the man Kennedy William Gordy is. He's goofy. He's over the top. But most importantly, <laughs> it's a bit delusional. Also pretty paranoid. Yeah, he's pretty fucking paranoid, yeah. You know, like clearly thinks a lot of people are watching him. And I guess they are because he starred in the music video about that. Real facts happening on this show. And also, he's perhaps a bit aware of the fortune that he's had. I don't know. He's definitely aware of the fortune that he's had. And he also doesn't know what the word nepotism means. Uh, that's my favorite take from this show. That is the best. I that's the you know that's the story, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, he just doesn't know what it just doesn't means. know what nepotism means. <laughs> well, both in this song and in interviews, Rockwell has fetishized average people. We talked about that, folks. He told Rolling Stone again. Here's that fucking quote: 
Quote, I came from a king, Barry Gordy, and I'm like a prince, and I wanted to not be sheltered from average everyday people and just wanted to live and learn. What a joker and a liar. <laughs> right? The everyday, the average everyday people. Well, then there are the lyrics. I'm just an average man with an average life. I work from nine to five. Hey, hell, I pay the price. All I want is to be left alone in my average home. Hey, hell. There's so much to look at here. He's at once aware of his fortune and also a bit too romantic and precious about it. Saying he's like a prince without much irony at all. And like like genuinely out of touch royal, he opines to be average. How about that? Fetishizing the trials and tribulations of those who less. How about that? Hmm. Now I'm just kind of thinking he's mean. Like yes! is Rockwell just a mean dude? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's. I've already, I've already ad hominem too hard in this episode. I'm not going to come out and say he's outright a mean dude. Anyway, I mean, listen, these have some open court cases that could conclude into hell. Yeah, attacked a woman with a fucking chair. Yeah, he's a mean dude. Jesus Christ! No need to dance around that. Well, shit, I. No need to dance around that and fuck. I think that's... And fuck. I think that's the that's the note to end on. God damn. Well, that's it. That's it. I think it's time to bid you, the folks at home, a spooky good night. And a safe farewell. Stay spooky, but stay safe, folks. Come on. So you know what I'm saying, folks? Don't eat any apples with razor blades in them. Folks, thank you for your time. Stay strange. Be kind. Love yourselves. Yeah, nobody's watching you, bro. Relax. <laughs> ah, see you in hell, folks. <sighs> Trick or treat, bro, motherfucker.